You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to turn with me to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 15. Leviticus 23, verse 15. There was an incredible golfer. He played golf all through his uh, childhood years into high school. He was a really good golfer. He got a full ride scholarship to a college. And as he was coming out of college, he was about to go pro. But he felt like he wanted to be a priest instead. So he went down to his local parish. He went in there and he talked to the other priests. He said, I wanna, I wanna be a priest. They said, well, that's okay, son. But if you're gonna be a priest in this parish, we add a few extra rules to it. Uh, of course, you're going to have to have a vow of you know, celibacy. You're going to have to also have a vow of poverty. But in addition to that, you're going to have to have a vow to never, ever play golf again. He thought, that's a big one. But, you know, it was, it was winter time. He hadn't been playing golf much anyway, so that's okay. So he became a priest. Well, springtime rolled around. First sunny, warm day. He was really, whew, he was looking at those golf clubs, you know, out in the garage, and he was thinking, man, I'd really love to go play golf, but I got mass. So he, he got an idea. He calls a, his fellow priest. He says, look, man, I'm, I'm feeling sick. I don't think I can make it in today. He says, that's no problem. I'll cover mass for you. So, man, he grabbed his golf clubs, and he headed out of town. Had to go two hours away. Didn't want to run into any parishioners, right? Of course, they were all at mass anyway, so there was hardly anybody on the golf course that morning. So he gets out on hole one, and he's about to tee off on his drive, and all of a sudden, St. Peter, who's up in heaven looking down on all this, he looks over at God, and he says, God, are you, are you going to let him get away with that? You going to let him do that? You going to let him skip church on Sunday and go play golf? Well, right as he was saying that, he struck that ball. He hit the longest drive of his life straight down the fairway, took an incredible hop, hit the cart path, rolled up onto the green, and rolled right up to the edge of the flag and stopped. And about that time, a gust of wind came by and blew it into the hole. A 420-yard hole-in-one. It was a miracle. Peter just couldn't take it anymore. He said, Lord, come on. You're not you're gonna let him get away with that? And the Lord just smiled and said, Why? Who's he gonna tell? <laughs> we can all come up with excuses to cut God uh, out of our schedules, right? But a, a two-hour drive to a, a distant remote golf course, let me tell you, friend, it ain't hidden from God. He sees the priorities of our lives, he sees our schedules. He sings the things that we put first, and you better believe that our schedules matter to him. How we prioritize him matters to him, and we're feasting on the feast uh, of the Lord to kick off this new year. Seven prescribed feasts in Leviticus 23. First was the Sabbath day, kind of God's weekly pause in our seven-day work week, the anchor of all the other feasts. And then we saw the feast of the Passover and unleavened bread. That shows God's protection of his people from death. And then last week we saw the feast of first fruits. Those were the first portions which are to be given to God. And by the way, they're tiny portions in comparison to Jesus Christ who was our first fruits. Well, today we're going to continue with the Feast of Pentecost, which was originally known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. These were prescribed holy gatherings, times appointed by God for God. And if you've missed the last three weeks altogether, let me just tell you, feast literally means appointed 
time. So to feast on God is to appoint time for God on our calendars. Robert Moffat was a famous missionary, Scottish missionary to Africa, lived in the late 1700s, died in uh, 1883. And he said, we'll have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but only one short hour before sunset to win them. Job 8 verse 9 said it this way, for we are but of yesterday and know nothing for our days on earth are a shadow, a shadow. <laughs> and, and before our shadows of believers, before our shadows fade into an eternity of worship of our God in heaven, we need to let the light of God's Grace cast our shadow across the pages of our calendars and our schedules and give God priority in our days because there's not many of them left, right? Why don't we stand now and read this together? Leviticus 23, we're going to read verses 15 through 22. Stand in honor of God's word. These are the words of God. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of an ephah. Then they shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs, a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd, and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord, and their grain offering, and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering, and two male lambs, a year old, as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest and you shall make a proclamation on the same day you shall hold a holy convocation you shall not do any ordinary work it's a statue forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations and when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not reap your field right up to its edge nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner I am the Lord your God I want to ask Keith Wynn, our wonderful drummer, so many more things. Ask him to lead us in prayer today. Heavenly Father, we just want to take this time and dwell in your goodness, Father. You're so good to us. And all the other things that the Bible just describes you as. We can be a testimony to who you are, Lord. Your goodness your kindness, your love and your mercy, and your patience when we've left the path of, 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 your, of your goodness, Lord. We just thank you for that, Lord. And we thank you that you're the one true living God today and forever. And that we can, and that, and that you are never, and, and that you are always unchanging, Amen. yet, you can change us. You can change the most corrupt and sinful, prideful heart, Lord, to be a testimony to your glory. So, Lord, Lord, as we enter into your word, Lord, I, I pray that you would show, show us your ways and bless Went as you do it. And all these things we ask in, 
Amen. 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 Thank you, Keith. Y'all be seated. Well, there's several reasons to jump right in here, that the, and there's several reasons that the Feast of Pentecost has bearing on our lives today and really helped usher in the days that we now live in. First, it was conclusive. It is still conclusive. Remember last week, the first uh, uh, Feast of First Fruits celebrated the beginning of the harvest because it was the end of the barley harvest. It was an opportunity for God's people to demonstrate their dependence on and their gratitude toward God for providing for their needs. And if it sounds repetitious, it's because it is. There were three of these seven harvest uh, feasts that are meant to praise God specifically for his provision, which is a reminder to me of all the verses uh, in the Bible about how we as his people should never stop praising him. You know, Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 145, verse 2, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Psalm 35, verse 28, then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Revelation 4, verse 8, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And if, if for some strange moment, every Christian around the entire globe were to cease from praising God, he'd make his other creations cry out in praise to him. You know the verse in Luke 19, verse 40, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Right, so it's no shock that several feasts proclaim gratitude and praise to God as our provider. The Feast of First Fruits was the beginning of harvest, the beginning of their time in the Promised Land. It was a symbolic gesture that the first and the very best of all we have belongs to God. And as His children, we should put Him first in every aspect of our lives. All right? First Fruits was also representative of the first crop that was planted in the winter before. So this would be the first harvest, right? Barley was the first harvest, and that's what it represented. It ripened before the other grain. But the Feast of Pentecost was the completion of harvest. It was represented with the wheat harvest. Wheat ripened after uh, barley. So it was pragmatic in many ways. The Feast of Pentecost or Feast of Weeks also had different names, the Feast of Pentecost, did ha it happened 50 days after the First Fruits Festival. Pentecost means 50th. It was, it was sometimes called a week of weeks, which, you know, seven times seven days, which is 49 plus the day of First Fruits after the Passover. So, First Fruits celebrated what we were going to gather, but Pentecost celebrates what we did gather. Right? Y'all with me so far? <laughs> And that's why we call this conclusive. It's eyewitness testimony. It's sheaves in hand. It's firsthand confirmation, conclusive evidence that the Lord keeps his word and provides. First fruits was a deposit or a pledge on the harvest, right? We saw last week that that pledge was Jesus Christ himself. But now Pentecost is the evidence of the value of that pledge. Uh, you know, when we make down payments on a car 
or on a house. We put down a deposit, um, you know, or a pledge. We're saying we're going to pay the rest of this off, right? But what happens when you drive your car off the lot? It decreases in value. What happens after you sign those 700 signatures on your home con contract on your house, right? Never seen such a stack of papers, right? What happens? The very next day, the, the market could crash and your $800,000 home, your $400,000 home is now worth $200,000. Your price could plummet, but that's not so with God's first fruits. Jesus Christ is our first fruits. He's our deposit. And then comes Pentecost the end of the harvest, the, really the completion of the harvest. You know, that's why, you know, we're in Sanctity of Human Life uh, month right, right now. And praise God, I told someone the other day, I cannot believe we overturned Roe versus Wade. That's just a miracle from the Lord. Uh, and, it's, I, and, I, and I pray and I've been watching numbers. The numbers have fallen on abortions. And every abortion represents sin and pain in the life of the one who's having it, who's committing it and, and in so many others. But did you know that's why so many pro-choice proponents avoid ultrasounds? Because they know if a mother hears the heartbeat, they'll understand the value of it. You know, with adoptions, once that mother holds that baby in her arms, she's not gonna wanna give it up. So many times they don't let the mother do that, right? Because they'll understand the value of human life. God says, you trust me with what's first. <laughs> and then 50 days later, what happened? <laughs> Pentecost happened. And that's our second point of Pentecostal progress. The Feast of Pentecost is conclusive because it's the completion of the harvest. But what happened next? The, what happened next was explosive. Leviticus 23, 16 through 21. You shall count 50 days to the, to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. Well, that doesn't sound like an ex explosion to me. It sounds like an old, crusty, dull, traditional Jewish festival to me. Well, bear with me. Let me just give you a little fictitious example that will lead into a true example. All right? Hey, babe, uh, you going with me to the Feast of Weeks tomorrow? You know, it's tomorrow. Well, yeah, babe. Well, you didn't go last year because you were off buying... 15 head of cattle, you know. She's, he's like, yeah, I know, I know, but what did I really miss? Same old, same old, you know. I mean, I know God provided for us last year. I know he provided this year. He'll probably provide next year, you know. But I got to go get things done too, you know. Kids aren't going to feed themselves. You think you know, all the things our kids have that they don't need just grows on trees, those sandals on your feet, that scarf around your neck, where do you think that comes from? Besides, you know, it's, it's just going to be another, you know, another deal. Enter the true part of the story, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in the tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 6 and at, the, at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language and they were amazed and astonished. Verse 12 and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another what does this mean? But others mocking said ah they're filled with new wine. 
And of course, Peter stands up, gives one of his most famous sermons in verse 18. He says, these people aren't drunk. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. Starts quoting from Joel. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens, heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now back to our fictitious story. I don't know how it ended, but I hope it ended like this. Hey, babe, where are you going? You know, the husband begins to walk off. Watch this. Now, you said, you promised you were going to be with me all day. I mean, something crazy's happening in here. Don't you see it? And he says, babe, I'm not leaving. I'm going to get in line for baptism because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and these signs and wonders have confirmed it in my heart. I pray that's what happened. Church, do not miss this. God timed the most important events in Jesus' miraculous life and work and ministry to coincide, to intertwine with Jewish festivals that he had commanded 1,400 years earlier. That's well, just a coincidence. <laughs> now, the Bible never explicitly says it, but the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is wonderfully similar to the giving of the law on Mount Sinai 1,400 years earlier. And many Jews still believe this. We've got a visual timeline of the end of this that I want to put up here. Did I give you that picture? I think it's there. You got that picture? There it is. Uh, and here you can see how Jesus was and his harvest is the completion of all these feasts. All right? Listen to one scholar's comparison of the giving of the law and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit 1,400 years later, all right? The giving of the Spirit in Acts 2 did occur on the Feast of Pentecost, very close to the day the law was given 1,400 years earlier. Both occasions brought about an earth-shaking paradigm shift for the people of God, the first under Moses in Exodus 19 and 20, the second uh, for the believers in Jesus, Acts 2, 1 through 4 and verse 41. Both had profound supernatural phenomena. At Sinai, there was thunder and a very loud trumpet sound. On the day of Pentecost, there was noise like a violent rushing wind. At Sinai, the Shekinah glory, which was the visible manifestation of the presence of God, covered the entire mountain in the form of smoke and fire. Exodus 19, verse 18. On the day of Pentecost, the Shekinah glory fell in the form of tongues as of fire. Now, these next pics that you're seeing here are just man's attempt to capture the awe of these two moments, right? Both events evoked strong uh, emotional reactions from the crowd. At Sinai, all the people perceived uh, the thunder. This is Exodus 20, verse 18. They perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and, and the mountain smoking. And when the, when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. On the day of Pentecost, the crowd was bewildered, amazed and astonished at the sound and at hearing the proclaimed message in their own native tongue, Acts 2, 6-8. So let's just take a moment and look back at uh, the trilogies of Star Wars. You know, the plot lines, the complicated plot lines in the old Star Wars movies or Lord of the Rings or uh, Harry Potter, the 57 episodes of that, right? However many it was. 57 hours, maybe. 
Okay, it was complex. We say, wow, what an author. And yet those really occurred just in a small span of time. They wrote those books in a small span of time. It's, they're fictitious. They're not even real. What if it was real? <laughs> and it occurred over a 1,400-year span. God's script, his schedule, the detailed coinciding of the very details of the children's Jewish culture were pointing to the day when it would all make more sense, right? God set feast in motion. He put stuff on the calendar 1,400 years in advance and even before that to show his glory in this beautiful explosion of seed time and harvest and reaping and feasting. <laughs> an explosion of creativity and preparation. And most of all, an explosion of souls. Jesus was the first fruit harvest, right? The end of the barley season. And the explosion of salvations at Pentecost was the completion of the harvest. The end of the wheat season. But it wasn't the end of the harvest. Fast forward from Acts 2 to Acts 4. And as they were speaking to the people, this is a different occasion than Acts chapter 2. The priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, verse 3, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening, verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So we know there were, there were 120 mentioned in Acts 1.15. 3,000 mentioned in Acts 2.41, 5,000 mentioned in Acts 4.4. So by Acts, the fourth chapter of Acts, you got over 10,000 minimum believers. And it was due to the explosive Holy Spirit, the biblical proclamation of the gospel, and miraculous signs that turbocharged the kingdom of God, <laughs> propelling us to what we are today. But it's still not finished. Amen? The Feast of Weeks, which was later called the Feast of Pentecost, was conclusive because God sent His Son to die as the first fruits symbolized by that festival. He arose from the dead 40 days later. We saw that on the chart. He ascended into heaven. And then He said in Luke 24, 49, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And 10 days later, that's exactly what happened. Explosive power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I love Leviticus 23, uh, 16, because it talks about new grain. Hey, listen, some of y'all may look old. Some even more than others. I'm sorry. But hey, listen, in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're new wheat, buddy. New wheat. And by the way, this is a good pickup line for you men, you single men out there, all right? You're sitting there at Starbucks. Y'all bear with me, Wilson. This is your class I'm talking to. <laughs> all right? You're sitting there at Starbucks, and you see a girl across the way. She's got her Bible open. Y'all look for those marked-up Bibles, men, all right? Well, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, in the pros column, all right? So you get up, because you've been studying Leviticus 23, you want to make sure your preacher's not lying. You know, you're a Berean-type kind of fella. So you, you go over there, you mosey on over to the girl, and you're like, hey, I noticed you were reading the Bible. I'm a bit of a Bible studier myself. <laughs> Matter of fact, I've been, uh, been reading Leviticus 23, you know, the seven feasts of the Lord. 
And I just felt I needed to tell you today that you look like new grain on the first day of Pentecost. (laughs) And before you say another word, I just want to remind you that the priest, when he had that new grain, you know what they did with it before they offered it? Put it in a bundle. And when she slaps you, you can, you can rely and pray to that same Holy Spirit that gave you the, the power to heal your face and your feelings. <laughs> well, look, this all leads to our third point in Pentecostal progress. Pentecost is conclusive and it's explosive. And third, and this may sound like a crazy word to you, but third, it's inclusive. Oh, preacher, I don't know about that word. That sounds like a liberal word to me. God's gospel's exclusive. Well, let's just see what God says about it. Let's ask God what he thinks. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. First Timothy 2, 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Titus 2, 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Ezekiel 18, verse 32, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Romans 10, 13, 4, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isaiah 45, verse 22, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. John 5, 24, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in who sent me has eternal life. Revelation 22, 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Take it, drink it. And of course, Revelation 7, verses 9 through 10, that's a prophecy. It's going to happen one day. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. I can count pretty high, guy. I mean, I can get up there in the millions. No one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You think the waving of those palm branches don't have anything to do with the culture, the correlated culture of waving those first fruits before the Lord and that, that completion of that? So what's that got to do with Leviticus 23? Well, inclusion is actually all in here. Leviticus, if you remember back in first, uh, the Feast of First Fruits in Leviticus 23.10, we read, bring the sheaf, bring the sheaf, verse 11, verse, uh, uh, wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, singular, because that's Christ. But jump to verse 17, you shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved. Verse 20, and the priest shall wave them. Why two loaves? I believe it's because the Holy Spirit was about to pour out the Spirit on all people, Jews and Gentiles. I think this was symbolic of that. Some preachers even say that Pentecost was the undoing of Babel. Remember at Babel, he confused all the languages so that they departed because of their wickedness. But now, because of Christ's death and burial, he brings those languages back together and they hear everyone in their own language. That's salvation. And it is inclusive for whoever repents and calls on the name of Jesus. But God takes inclusion one step further in verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, 
You shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And some scholars believe the reason the loaves were leavened is because leaven represents sin and as the Lord seeks the lost. And there's verses about this in Jude 19, 18 through 21 maybe and other places. There's going to be a process of sanctification in the church. Right? I mean, you had crazy, crazy sins going on in, the, in Corinth. It was still a church. And so some people believe that, that yeast represented that sin that was going to be there. But God says, even the poor and the sojourner, and those are the people that, that we're prone to condescend upon the most. Well, you know, they probably made some bad life decisions that got them there more than likely. You know, odds are, even though we don't know. And the sojourner, well, they're, just wandering. they're wanderers. Who are they? What's their importance? The rebel against God who doesn't yet see the love of Jesus. And I believe God put this in there because he knew we'd be sinful and we need to be reminded of the Great Commission. But they still have hope. Second Timothy 2.25 speaks of our enemies. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Friend, let me just say this. We need to be careful that our credit cards and our lifestyles and our calendars aren't disobeying this very command by leaving no room for God in the very harvest that he provided. Mind your edges. Mind the edges of your life. Well, I hope we know by now that they call it Pentecostal power for a reason. All right, it was planned in advance for an, this explosion. And we're still living in the harvest. More people are coming to faith today, this year, than in the history of world civilization. You know, they say that Paul, he, he labored in Asia and in Romans 15, he says, there's no place left for me here. So he was gonna head to Spain, all right? Of course, he got killed before that, that could happen. But there were these estimates, historians estimate anywhere from 20 million to as much as the maximum 50 million people were in the world that he reached, that Asia, all right? We're living in a day with seven billion. And I have personally witnessed those unreached people groups coming to faith in Christ all over the globe. You've got the internet and you've got gospel witness. You've got people on the front lines in the fields. Everywhere. Today, somebody was telling me about some missionaries from Poland that are going to be visiting next week to, to our church, Lord willing. And we've got missionaries all over the world reaching these people. People are coming to faith in Christ like you would not believe. You know, the Southern Baptist Convention, which we're a part of, it has 47,000 roughly churches that cooperate together to send missionaries around the world. Praise God for it. But did you know China at this moment has four conventions of underground churches that are bigger than our one? We have, we have one of the largest missionary sending agencies in the world. It's called the International Mission Board. We send like close to 4,000 missionaries. I'm wanting to add more to that number. But did you know that's 4,000? One of those four conventions in the underground church of China is planning to send 100,000 missionaries into the Middle East alone. Missionaries are going out all over the world. A guy that I discipled when I lived in South Asia. He's been to train other people in how to plant churches. He's been to Malaysia. He's been to London. He's been to uh, Dubai. 
The gospel is spreading. It's spreading from what used to be unreached places, just like America, just like the missionary explosion that happened in America, how we send out so many missionaries. Now that's happening in every place around the world. God keeps swinging his salvation sickle. Amen? And we're part of that. We're part of that. May he reap abundantly in our church this year and through us and our families and in our communities. The Feast of Pentecost is conclusive because I'm holding it in my hand. The peace that passes understanding, the forgiveness of my sins. It's tangible to me. Is it tangible to you? Can you see it on your calendar? <laughs> I'm preaching to the choir again because y'all are here. You're like, well, you're, this, is, this day's on my calendar. What about tomorrow? What about Tuesday? Right? What about when you fall out of the groove and you just kind of skip town for a month or two? Let's reprioritize and put Christ back in priority. And then we'll be part of this explosion. <laughs> right? This inclusion of Jews and Gentiles. May it be so. For everyone who repents and calls on the name of Jesus. Would you stand? Father God, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you that the Feast of Pentecost was not just a boring festival. It was a reminder. And Lord, you stamped it on the souls of all mankind the day you poured out your spirit on the day of Pentecost. We don't just call it the day of Pentecost because uh, 3,000 people were saved. That, that whole series of feasts had been in effect over a millennia setting up the day when you pour out your spirit on all mankind and you've done it, God. We see people from every tribe and race, every economic background, literate, illiterate, rich and poor, sojourner, and those who've lived in one place all their lives. You're pouring out your spirit on them on your people and I pray you do that in our church this year do that in our families this year bring our children and grandchildren to faith bring us to faith God there may be people in here that have, have never surrendered their lives fully to Christ they may have come to church forever but they've never surrendered everything to you which does include their calendar I pray Lord that they would repent and follow you today I pray if anyone here does not know you they'd call on the name of Jesus and be saved you set all this up for them. You, you don't wish to see any perish, but that all would have eternal life. Let them be part of that harvest today. I pray for others that may want to join this church and be part of serving you here. And I ask it in Jesus' name, we would respond. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.piperdenbaptist.com.